Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. Today, I have a really awesome episode for you all. I just got finished talking with Devin Thorpe. Devin is deeply optimistic. He's the author of Crowdfunding for the Social Good and another book, Your Mark on the World, amongst other, he has, I think he has four other books. He's an educator and speaker. He is a champion of social good, and he's even delivered a keynote speech at the United Nations. We had a very interesting conversation. I asked him a whole bunch of questions about the work that he's doing and how other people can get involved. And I think you're honestly really going to enjoy this one. Please let me know what you think after you listen to it. And without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Devin Thorpe. Devin, thanks for joining us today. It's an honor to be here. Thank you very much, Patrick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, just, I want to dive right in and, and I mean, my first question for you is, is what got you started down this road of highlighting all these, you know, amazing people? Like you, you have such a stacked YouTube channel of amazing interviews with such unique personalities. What, how did you begin that journey? Well, you know, there, there is, uh, a surprisingly simple explanation uh, for this, but I was uh, I was invited to start writing for as a contributor to Forbes, and uh, I had been doing that for about a year when uh, Google introduced Google Hangouts on air, so you could have a conversation with someone anywhere in the world with an internet connection and broadcast it to everyone on the whole planet, and I thought that sounded really really cool. Um, so I started doing that and, uh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so, you know, here it is, I've done a thousand episodes now and, uh, no interest in stopping. Um, I think there's something broken in me. <laughs> but I just, I, I, it, you know, it is just amazing to talk to people who are really making a difference in the world and to hear their stories and to have the privilege of sharing them. It's just, just amazing. So, I mean, hearing all those stories, I can imagine that it's sort of a contagious feeling that you get from talking to all these people. Is there a common thread that you notice with people that you interview? Is there something that you've sort of picked apart from all these different thousands of interviews? Is there something that you've sort of picked out of that that distinguishes these people who seem to be motivated to work towards that social good? Yeah, it, it, it's not universal. But it is a consistent theme. Um, most of the people who are making the biggest difference, in my estimation, they're a little bit off. <laughs> they are 
literally a little bit crazy. They lack a certain uh, tether to reality. Um, they let their passion get the better of them. And so most rational people wouldn't do, you know, fully grounded, rational, thoughtful people wouldn't do what they're doing. Uh, now, there are exceptions, right? Um, and those exceptions tend to be people who are very well educated and really truly exceptional people who end up running large organizations, right? That's kind of an old fashioned path that well grounded people take. But I'm always amazed at the impact that, you know, people have when they didn't go to Harvard and maybe they dropped out and I don't know, they're just, they just are a little bit crazy and they, man, they do amazing stuff without, you know, all of the credentials and all of the whatever. So yeah, that's what I see. So they're a little crazy. So I've heard you in some of your other talks before mention that Steve Jobs quote. Yeah. Those, uh, you know, change the world. They're usually the ones crazy enough to believe that they can yeah. along those lines. I probably just absolutely butchered that. Yeah, so so do I. I butcher it for a living. So yeah, <laughs> it, that's exactly it's exactly right. Right. They and when I say they're a little bit crazy, I don't mean necessarily clinically mentally ill, but they they there is a gap between their perception of reality and reality. And I'm guilty of that sometimes too, I think. Um I'm a little bit proud of that. Excellent. Yeah. I think it's something to be proud of, you know, and, and from your experience, do you think that's something that can be taught or learned or is that just like a natural you're born with it? I don't think it's something you're born with necessarily. I think that what happens is that there is a moment in life an experience, something happens, whether it's a profoundly affecting news story, uh, your, your sister gets sick, your mom dies, your, you know, who knows what profound experience you have and you realize, wait a minute, I could do something about that, maybe not for her, but for the next one, I can do something about that. And suddenly the, that vision and passion just overwhelms you. Um, and you may never have been untethered from reality before, right? You may never have experienced that moment of crazy and you get started. And, and over time, maybe you become more grounded as you uh, make progress. But that in that process of making progress, um, what you're doing seems more rational. But still, having launched it uh, was crazy at the beginning. Are there any... Sort of because I mean, being that sort of like level that type of crazy where you're maybe overly optimistic and you have these huge goals, I imagine that a lot of those people face a lot of blowback or a lot of pessimism from many people around them. And uh, very often I hear from people uh, that I speak to that they have big ideas, but they feel they feel like they're so crazy because of all the pessimism they, they hear. Is there any common thread as far as like the way that people handle that negativity or the way that they handle that pessimism of the people that could be closest to them, how they handle yeah. that and get, a, get around it? Well, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember early, early in my career. So this would be 1987. 
I had the idea to get into digital imaging, uh, you know, document scanning and that sort of thing. And I think back, if I had done that, I would be a billionaire. I mean, just flat out, I would be. Um, because it was so early in the life cycle of that world that no matter what I had done in that space, uh, I would have been a billionaire had I done it. But I went to some smart people that I knew, my father and others, and they said, oh, that's dumb. Don't do that. Go to school and you know finish your college degree and do that and you'll be fine. Uh, so, I mean, yes. I, so, long way of introducing my response to your question is to say, I know exactly what you're talking about. I didn't do it right. Uh, clearly, though, when you are in this place of being a little bit crazy, you don't listen to that feedback. And thank heaven, people who are changing the world don't. When you get on that path where you're saying, I can change the world. That is an absurd thing to say. And yet it is only those people who say it who do it. That There is a catch there. And uh, let's be honest, most of the people who say it and try it don't do it. That's what the sane voices in our heads are, the sane friends and family members who tell us not to pursue it. What they're seeing is they've seen all the people who have those crazy moments where they say, I'm going to go change the world, and it doesn't work. But it doesn't change the fact that the only people who are changing the world are the ones who get up in the morning and say, I think I can. Yeah, I think, I think that it's, it's really uh, an interesting thing because you can, it's like you could say that you're going to change the world and you might not, but unless you say that, you're certainly not. Right. Tell me, uh, you know, you had insight into tons and tons of businesses that are, are working towards the social good. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this that uh, maybe never thought of, you know, sort of gearing their company towards that. What, do you believe that every company has an outlet to be more geared towards social good or social changes? There's small changes that they can make to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first and foremost, um, you know, we live in a day and age when it is, possible to build a company that is much more environmentally friendly than a generation ago. And so you, you need to bake that into your DNA, that at least you're asking. As a startup, it may be difficult to always make those decisions, but you've got to start asking those questions and looking for those opportunities so that as you go down that path, that's just part of what you do. You look for the low impact low environmental impact or environmentally positive way of approaching a solution. And, and more and more, you know, we're seeing buildings in Silicon Valley all around that are uh, not just net zero, but they're starting to pop up that they're actually putting energy back onto the grid. It's just, it's an amazing thing. And that's where we need to be thinking. So, so that's one thing every business can and should be doing is thinking about climate change, especially. But let me go on to say that regardless of what you are thinking about doing or are doing, I challenge all entrepreneurs to look at the world's really biggest problems. And climate change is certainly one of them. Um, but 
you know, you look at global health issues around the world, you know, there are still countries where the uh, average lifespan is under 40 years. Uh, there are huge opportunities to improve global health and people will pay for longevity, right? Uh, so there are opportunities to make a profit helping people live longer. Uh, and especially in much of the developing world where people aren't getting, uh, they don't have as good access to clean water, uh, adequate food, and um, a place to go to the bathroom. I mean, that's one of the biggest opportunities in the world, and it's gross to talk about. But my good golly, there are two and a half billion people on the planet who don't have a toilet. Wow. I mean, there's never been a better time in the world's history to sell toilets. So, you know, get into, there are so many opportunities. Um, and then you, know, you, you look at poverty and people say, well, what can you sell to poor people? Well, you think about all the things that people are experiencing in the developing world. They're just like us, right? If, if you can make something easier for them uh, or cheaper, they'll buy it. It's not that they don't have any money. Uh, very few people in the world have no money. Most people have some income and they would much rather spend nine cents on something than 10 cents. So if you can figure out a way to deliver a 10 cent product for nine cents, you'll, you've got a market. And if, and there are, you know, there are 700 million people living on less than $2 a day and about 5 billion living on less than $10 a day. So there's a huge population of people who is very frugal. Wow. But, you know, you, and, you know, it's like we used to say when I was a kid, you know, if I could just sell one pencil to everyone in China, I would be rich, right? Yeah. And, and, and there's still that huge thing going on where there are billions of people on the planet who are not well off, whether you build the first computer that really appeals to that community or whatever else, there are opportunities you can make a business out of making their lives better. Absolutely. That, that is really like, you know, I, I think it's a big trend happening right now where I'm sure you've seen some research where millennials are much more purpose driven than maybe previous generations and what they want to do for work. And it's odd to me that there's so many millennials looking for work and then there's all these opportunities there. Uh, how can we help bridge the gap? How can we help refer some of you know people that are looking for work maybe to companies that are doing the social good? It seems like you you're like an index for all of them. Uh, are there any you know favorites that you have? Any companies that you would recommend people to go check out and maybe you know join them and help them along? Well, there are some great preambles to that. Let me insert that possibility. But, sure. Uh, you know. Uh, especially if you're thinking about alternatives to college, let me encourage you to look at the Peace Corps. Uh, spend a year, uh, you know, take this gap year. Mom and dad are going to be much more patient with, a, with you taking a year out of college if you, instead of just playing around, you're in the Peace Corps. I mean, that what an incredible experience. Spend a year doing uh, some modestly paid uh, market research and learn what's going on in the in the developing world. I've talked to a lot of people uh, over the years who launched their careers in the Peace Corps and it gave them a, a perspective that they have never lost, never forgotten. So there, and there are other ways to do that. Uh, some people just travel, other people, you know, volunteer, you, you find your way, but there are opportunities to learn all around. And, um, 
once you have that perspective, you're more valuable to organizations that are working on solving those kinds of problems. And, and not all of them are for-profit enterprises. You've got NGOs all around the world from the from small, you know, six-person operations to, you know, organizations that employ literally hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Uh, I know it's staggering, but like the World Health Organization through uh, its Polio Plus program employs literally millions of people. So there are all kinds of things going on out there to give you experience and exposure. Um, uh, one way to connect to that, and it's not very cool for uh, millennials, but really remarkably relevant for millennials is to join a Rotary Club or a Lions Club where you're gonna get to meet service-minded people who are older than you, by and large, those clubs are comprised of older people, but uh, you'll get an opportunity to do service with them and connect with them in a way that's going to advance your career. That's, I think that's really terrific advice. You know, it really is uh, like building value in your own skill set, building value for, for companies that you might apply for in the future. I, I want to ask you about sort of like your own um, sort of journey in this whole, you know, social benefit companies and people and like what inspires you to highlight all these people? Like it's a daunting task in itself, all the things that they're doing. What inspires you to go on day by day and, and continue pushing these messages? Well, it, uh, it's just wonderful to do. Uh, you're obviously a show host, so you get it right. The, most of the people you talk to are interesting. Uh, they're interesting to you, if nothing else, because you invited them to be on your show and, and I get to do, the same thing, right? I, I'm talking to people I find interesting, fascinating, in fact, and of course, sharing the story of people who are doing good in the world, making a difference. Oh my gosh, what a what an honor, what a privilege it is for me to for to do, to do that. I just uh, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm doing better with this financially, but I, you know, you. People always say, if you, you know, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's the path I'm on. And there's a lot of truth to that. I, I am doing something I would do for free. Even though I, you know, thankfully, but Johnson & Johnson is the sponsor of my show. I'm no longer doing this for free. But I tell you, uh, I would do it for free. It's that fun. That is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. I love to hear that. I think that's also really inspiring for, for the people listening. Uh, so one of the most, one of the very cool things I, I saw you do is that keynote speech at the UN. What, what was that experience like for you? What was that? I could only imagine that being surreal. It was, it was a phenomenal, you know, once in a lifetime kind of opportunity, except that I actually have spoken at the UN twice, but it was really cool both times. Uh, the once, uh, I was just in a, on a panel the other time I gave that keynote that you're talking about and, uh, yeah, it was a conference there at the UN, uh, kind of co-hosted by the UN and Rotary. And uh, so there were two keynote speakers that day. The morning keynote was the uh, Deputy Secretary General for Nuclear Disarmament Wow! in the morning. And then I was the afternoon keynote speaker. Uh, talk about pressure, uh, you know. Uh, but I realized... You know, I, I don't have the gravitas of the UN Deputy uh, Secretary General, uh, but 
I have a perspective, I have a take, and it was relevant and uh, interesting and entertaining. And so, yeah, I feel like, yeah, it was a really cool experience. I'm grateful for it and glad that uh, things kind of worked out. Yeah, that was so cool. I, I just even trying to, you know, just imagine like just the gravitas of the situation there. It's, it's fascinating. Are, are there any, um, any people that you've worked with in maybe the past six months that, that have like a really phenomenal story or, or uh, you know, mission that they're on that you, you want to share with the listeners here? Oh, you know, just uh, everybody, everybody. Um, I, I'll share a couple just to give you a couple of examples. Uh, maybe, maybe I come up with three, but uh, Suzanne Ray is one of my favorite stories. She is 73, I think now. And I know your audience is young and you're thinking, oh, I, that doesn't relate to me. But there is nothing she did that required any experience. Her, she had never worked outside the home, as I understand it. Uh, and her husband died and she was in her late 60s. She's a member of Rotary and she wanted to raise money for uh, polio eradication. And so she she started talking about it and got people to help her with all the things she couldn't do, which is to say almost all of it. Um, but she started traveling around the world to raise money for polio eradication. And she's been doing this for about five years now. Well, she's now raised like $10 million for polio eradication. And she is a wonderful woman, a wonderful human being, you know, in her heart. But let me tell you, she is not remarkably smart. She is not remarkably articulate. She is not remarkably attractive. Um, she is mildly uh, affected by polio. She had polio as a child, which makes her relevant, but she's not in a wheelchair. She's not, you know, so she has managed to take her almost zero skill set. And I don't mean to insult her. She may hear about this, but I, I just so totally admire her because from the most ordinary existence you can imagine, she has done so incredibly much. And some would say that though that she raised money that other people would have raised anyway. And I've watched what she's done. I've traveled to some of the places she's been. And no, she raised $10 million. I honestly believe that wouldn't have been raised if she hadn't done what she's doing. So she's amazing. So that's, that's one story. Uh, I'll tell you another story. A non-technologist uh, who started uh, using big data and AI, again, using resources she gathered because she had a passion. All she had was the passion. She gathered the resources to start tracking uh, using the same technology human traffickers are using to uh, track and market potential victims. She started using that same kind of thing, big data, to track the bad guys and their victims so that when someone vulnerable is at risk, they can be rescued. Now, she's just getting started, but she's working with law enforcement organizations around the globe. The potential for what she's doing really could shift the whole battle against human trafficking. Um, she's, I think she is a millennial. She may be a little older end of the millennial scale, but she's probably in her thirties, uh, really an impressive woman. Um, and amazing what she's been able to do without being herself a technologist. 
That is fascinating. I think that's also really valuable for the listeners because I feel like a lot of people might be intimidated to dive into big challenges if they don't have, they don't feel like they have a skill set to match that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked uh, to some amazing young people over the, over the years. Uh, like uh, one guy uh, realized that there were kids in his own high school who were hungry, especially over the summer, right? When you didn't have school lunch programs, they were not getting fed. And so he uh, built an app uh, populated with some federal data that you can put on your phone that will tell you where you can go to get food, especially in the summertime. But it's all the, all the food pantries and, and food banks in the country are in this app. And he's slowly adding more and more resources that aren't in the federal database so that any kid anywhere in the country can pull this up and say, oh, now I know where I can go for a meal. Uh, really super powerful. And he did that when he was you know, 15, 16 years old. Wow. That is, all, all these stories are really, those are so crazy. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Is there, is there any um, book that you gift most often to people that, that might be, you know, interested in, in sort of, uh, you know, thinking more about the social good or what they could contribute or things like that? Yeah, I, I, I am a voracious reader. That is, I really listen to books uh, when I run. Uh, that's how I consume books. But uh, I read a lot. I recommend a lot of books, you know, situationally. But probably the book I have gifted the most often and am most fond of, it's now a little bit dated, but it was written, I think, in 2006 or 2008 by Nick Kristoff and uh, Cheryl Wu Dunn. They both worked for the New York Times, and um, although Nick covers politics a lot of the time, really his passion is on, you know, solving problems in, you know, not just the developing world, but even in, in America around poverty and global health and climate. And, uh, I share that passion, and uh, so he, they wrote a book called Half the Sky, and it's really about the challenges women face around the world and what's being done to address those challenges so that women can operate on a more equal footing. And it's really inspiring work. And it's, it'll just break your heart as you read about some of the experiences of women. Because we, we just, I think especially as men, we just don't appreciate it. Um, we just don't know what it's like to be nervous walking to your car at you know, 9 o'clock at night. Uh, men just don't have that experience and it's tough to know what it would be like otherwise. Now that, that idea of sort of like empathizing with, with other people and sort of placing yourself in their shoes, I think that's challenging for a lot of people. And it sounds like, you know, for people that are working towards a social good, they might be better at that. Empathy. Yeah. Have you ever heard of or come across any sort of ways of putting yourself, you know, being better at putting yourself in other people's perspectives or other people's shoes to be able to, understand what they're going through well a travel b read right <laughs> those are the two magic pills for getting inside other people's skin and understanding better what it's like to walk in their moccasins so well, i love that i there's nothing better than simple advice i want to talk about your your own books here you have crowdfunding for the social good and and your mark on the world uh 
two best sellers there. What, what's next? Well, yeah, I've written uh, about six books now and I'm working on a book. I haven't, I still haven't settled on the title right now. I'm thinking maybe I'll call it deep optimism, but uh, I, I'm intimidated by this book because I really want to write the definitive book about how we will solve uh, extreme poverty, global health and climate change issues. And, uh, you know, those are big topics and who am I to tackle them? But I just feel a real passion around those subjects and optimism. I really believe we can do this. And uh, I, I try to avoid uh, a Pollyannish view of these issues because they won't solve themselves. We have to engage. But the global economy is so huge. There are so many prosperous people. There is so much money available to be invested or taxed. We don't have to worry. We can solve all of the world's big problems. I'm convinced that's the case. Do we have to make smart decisions? Absolutely. They will not solve themselves. But I trust humanity. Uh, I, think we, I think we will rise to the challenges in front of us. I think so too. Um, um, do you think, you know, just in, you know, from all the information that you've gathered, do you think this is going to be something that, you know, some of these massive problems could be solved in just a generation? Do you think it'll be a few generations? Do you think it'll be once we're on Mars? Like how far out do you think it would take to, to accomplish some of these things? Well, we have some deadlines for a few things. Uh, let me try and put a little bit of perspective around a couple of these things. So first of all, uh, with extreme poverty, the UN has already set the goal to eliminate extreme poverty by 2030 completely. And that's a remarkable thing. And you, I know that sounds like it's a way off for you, but uh, you know, for those of us with a little gray hair, that sounds like tomorrow afternoon. Uh, that is really a short time horizon, 12 more years. And we are tracking toward that. Maybe we're not right on track for that, but we are tracking meaningfully in that direction. That is exciting stuff. So it isn't just Devin talking about eliminating extreme poverty, smarter people than I are. So that's exciting. Uh, when we talk about global health, um, 30 years ago, there were about 350 to 400,000 cases of polio every year. Last year, there were 22 cases. Wow. Right? So we've completely eradicated polio almost. And so, you know, this year or next year will likely be the last year anyone ever gets polio. The number of people dying from malaria is dropping every year. The number of people dropping from, uh, dying from AIDS and tuberculosis is dropping. Those three kill uh, between them almost three million people a year. Wow. And um, it is exciting to think about our ability to get behind, get, get our hands around these contagious diseases and eliminate them. So, uh, you know, within the next 20 to 30 years, it is really reasonable to think that we can eliminate those diseases, maybe not completely like polio, but if we eliminate them 90, 99%, the number of people draw, dying from these diseases can, can be dramatically changed, dramatically changed. That's, so I get excited about that. That is not beyond, uh, beyond our capability. I realize polio you know, spreads very differently than malaria and malaria and tuberculosis and AIDS have different challenges. 
we can fix all of those. We can prevent all of those from being the public health problems that they are in this time frame. Finally, we talk about uh, climate change. Climate change is the, 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 the difference with climate change is climate change is accelerating as people leave poverty, right? So we have a, a natural problem growing as we solve another problem. As, as more and more people uh, drive more cars, uh, more places, we ruin the planet. But as uh, but the good news is we have a deadline. Really, if we haven't addressed this in a radical way, not, not, a, not a lip service way, if we haven't really radically altered the way we produce food, what we eat, and what we drive, over the next 12 years, 10 to 12 years, the, the world will suffer devastating consequences. And I think even though there are people in America that don't buy this, um, including our president, uh, more and more what I'm seeing in my research is that corporations do buy it. They get it. And so even absent regulation, even absent the requirement of the U.S. government, that they do something about it, they are doing things about it. Certainly entrepreneurs are, all kinds of people are. One of the things that gets me most excited is already, already uh, zero fuel renewable energy. So wind and solar, tidal energy, all of these things now, are, they're producing energy at such a low cost in some cases that it's cheaper than operating operating, not building, cheaper than operating an existing coal-fired power plant. So wow. you think about that uh, and you realize that in very short order, in a very few years, throughout the world, it will make economic sense to stop putting coal into the coal-fired power plants that exist and to instead build windmills, uh, tidal power, uh, geothermal, and and solar uh, photovoltaics. Uh, and so there will be this huge economic incentive to switch over. Now, we're gonna need really good regulations to help guide that process because uh, fr frankly, utilities won't do that if it means they have to write off the value of a coal-fired power plant. They've got, we've got these stranded assets and we've gotta find a way to pay for that. And I think the only way to pay for that is going to be some sort of tax subsidy. There's, that's the only way. And, and yes, at some level it means we're going to subsidize big corporations that are already making grundles of money. Well, we can either do that or we can die on the principle of saying corporations don't deserve subsidies. So that's my take. Hey, well, I think it's, you know, I think it's important to be firm with the beliefs there and to sort of draw, you know, <laughs> put a, you know, uh, be able to distinguish those things. Cause I feel like a lot of people, they get an idea in their head and they, you know, choose a team or something like that. And they're not able to sort of look for a compromise anywhere. So I, I think it's important to be able to identify compromises. Um, as far as, you know, like, uh, our audience here, is there anything that you would like to leave them with any sort of like final asks or requests or anything that you would recommend them to, to go out there and do to, to you know, sort of push for the social good. Well, yeah, I mean, 
absolutely and for sure one thing I would say is we are counting on you and uh, we're counting on you to do two things fundamentally one you've got to be politically active um, and I know your generation finds that a little bit challenging I know when I was your age I found it challenging it didn't feel like voting was relevant I didn't feel like I mattered I guarantee you, I just plead with you to understand your vote matters. It matters more now than ever in the history of the world. Your social awareness makes you uh, an invaluable ally to the planet and to other human beings, and we need your voice at the ballot box. So please vote and get engaged in the political process as much as you can tolerate. And then second, I want you to remember to take personal responsibility, apart from what the government does, apart from your business, apart from uh, all the other things that good people are doing around the world. I want you to take personal responsibility for uh, taking care of other people and the environment. You know, if you're inclined to vote for laws that make it easier, better, faster, cheaper to drive an electric car, great, do that. But you should always, you should also buy an electric car. You know, sell that gas filter you've got and buy an electric car. Uh, I, I'm going to confess, I'm embarrassed, but I, I bought my electric car for six grand. You know, we, we're no longer in this day and age when you have to go buy a brand new one. Buy a used one. They're cheap. They're practically giving them away uh, for a variety of reasons. But go buy one. So anyway, that's me. That's that's my take. That's my impassioned plea to you and your audience. I, I love it. I think, you know, being politically active, going out there and voting, taking personal responsibility, walking the walk. It's it's all you can ask for people to do. And, and I think it, it actually makes a really big difference. And I think what you're doing on a daily basis with your channel, with your outreach, with your just your all your interviews and everything, I think it's also contributing in a huge way. And I, I really appreciate all the work that you do. And Again, it's been an honor having you on the show. So thank you so much, Devin. Well, thank you. It's been an honor, Patrick. It's very kind of you to have me. You're, you're, I appreciate and admire the work that you're doing and encourage you to keep it up. My gosh, Patrick, uh, I love your passion for doing good and, and hope you're successful in every aspect of it. Thank you. Thank you.